The Man in the Myth is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know MMA ticket prices tend to drop right before the fights start? GameTime tracks prices in real-time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals, with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest ways to get to the game. The app is simple, it's quick, and it's easy to navigate. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Happy Wednesday, everyone, and welcome back to the show. It is November 6, 2019. My name is Sean O'Shadi, and this is the Man of the Myth podcast here on The Athletic and Apple Podcast and wherever else you get your pods. And please, I'll say this right at the top, rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps us out. Those of you who have already done it, we really do appreciate it. And as always, we appreciate you guys so much for joining us here today. Uh, I hope all you beautiful, wonderful people out there are enjoying your week and I certainly am because I, as always, am here with my guy, the best writer in the damn game. He's the man in the hat. He's the myth and the man in the mist podcast. Mr. Chuck Minnenhall, what's up, buddy? What's going on, Sean? Just enjoying this fine fall day out here in Connecticut and happy to be in Connecticut after all these uh, treks back and forth to New York City for the last UFC. So enjoying the day here. How about you? I was going to say you basically live in New York City with all the different Pretty shows much. and interviews you're doing down there. <laughs> It seems like that, man. I think a lot of people think I'm based there just because of how often I end up in New York City. But um, I'm actually not in the city. I'm about an hour and a half out of there. So, uh, but it's it's good, man. It feels like uh, I'm finally I'm finally kind of settling in again after a big event. So uh, it feels normal again. Nice, nice. Well, it's fight week once again, man. It, it never stops. The fun never stops. And we have a fun show on tap today. We're gonna do a quick uh, little mini UFC Moscow preview. Hit a couple fights there. And then we're going to move on and we're going to do something we've cooked up. We have our own BMF tournament put a bow on last week. Yeah. Each of us, me, you, Chuck. uh, I'm sorry, me, you, Chuck. I kind of missed a comma there. And also, (laughs) producer Chris is getting in the action. He's going to get a segment in this as well. It's going to be a lot of fun. You guys will see what we have. Yes. Anytime we get Chris involved, I like it. The fans Uh, demanded it and here I am. (laughs) Perhaps all (laughs) half a dozen were chiming in saying, get Chris in there. <laughs> uh, but you, we'll explain that a little bit later in the show. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, in the meantime, Chuck, let's dive into UFC Moscow. That is what is ahead yeah. for this week. Uh, it's a little bit of a rough card. I feel like it's back <laughs> to the normal humdrum type of cards we got, where it's maybe a one or two fights that really pique your interest, and then just kind of filler throughout with the good fight here or there. So I'm going to throw it to you, man. I mean, on a care, don't care kind of sliding scale, where's this one falling for you? Oh man. I wouldn't say I don't care. I think when you get like, you know, you get Zabit in the main event, I think that a lot of people have pretty vast intrigue as to what he's going to be able to do in the next, like, say, six months to a year uh, in the featherweight division. It draws a certain amount of attention. I love the idea that they move this fight with uh, Calvin Cater from Boston to Russia, giving every, you know, basically every advantage, I think, to Zabit in this fight. So to me, I'm like, I love... Calvin Cater's kind of cavalier attitude about this to say like, hey, whatever, man, I'll fight him over in Russia. It doesn't matter to me. That that kid, just his attitude about this whole thing and uh, to kind of forfeit home soil and not 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 give a damn about that. I like that. You know what I mean? I like that kid. And he could obviously take some of that mojo um, that Zabit has. And we saw that in the last card in New York where a couple of people 
Um, we're being highly touted in terms of title talk, in terms of kind of where they're going to fit if they have a big showing, and all those guys lost in New York. So I feel like we just got a fresh reminder that there are no gimmies in this game. That's a very good point, man. That's a very good point. And let's dive into this main event. Zabi Magomed Sharipov versus Calvin Cater, like you said. Let's start here because we always talk about stakes here on The Man in the Myth. I feel like this one has a little bit of sneaky snakes. Like, what does this one actually mean? Because if I'll be honest, I didn't realize until I looked at it this week. But if you look about the fe- look at the featherweight division right now, you think about it. You got Max versus Volkanovski. That's next month. Yep. And then here is the rest of your top five. Brian Ortega, Jose Aldo, who's moved down, Frank Yeager, and then Zabit. First three <laughs> of those guys have already gotten blown out by Max. And also yep. Aldo's moving down, as I said. And this is actually maybe a number one contender fight, right? Like, the, at least for Zabit. He wins. He's 6-0 in the UFC. Who would actually have a better case than him after this fight next month, the title fight between Max and Volkanovski? I think that's exactly it. What you just said is exactly it. Now, it may be somewhat conditional in terms of who is up for grabs to possibly get that shot. I'm not sure if Calvin Cater, if he goes in there and he wins, let's say, like a grinding affair where he ekes out on the scorecards a decision. I'm not sure that's going to be enough. Um, to promote him into that space. Sure, certainly he'd be up there at that point, but I don't think he'd get next. But I think if Zabit shows up and does what he's supposed to do, you know, I think a lot of people have been waiting for him through his first uh, few UFC fights to uh, to get this chance to really showcase in a main event and do all of that, use the mic well. I could see a situation, like you just mentioned, where he just catapults right into that that title shot. Now, there are obviously, like we know this game, we know that the, it, things change so quickly. Obviously, at UFC 245, Volkanovski and Holloway will fight. If Volkanovski wins that fight, you know, then then you kind of kick into does Max deserve a rematch and all of this yeah. stuff. You know, there's there's a lot of situational things that can happen in this. But circumstantially, if if you know Zabit goes in there and wins this fight, I think he'd be the forerunner. And so long as Max Holloway gets by the next one, I could see them. You know, I could see that being your title fight uh, some point in uh, early 2020. It's funny that you say it depends on who wins, right? That it's maybe conditional for one guy and, and not the other. I felt the same when when I was going down the rundown today and setting up sort of what the topics for today's show and just kind of looking at the matchups. My initial thought was to agree with exactly what you just said there, that this is probably for Zabit, a number one contender fight, but maybe not for Cater. But then, man, I kind of just like sat down and looked at it a little more and just I kept staring at those rankings. (laughs) And I wonder if that's true, because just I'm going to make the case for Calvin Cater here for a second, because if he if he wins on Saturday, I think, first of all, he is he would be a he's a giant underdog. I think he's like a three to one dog. So nobody's expecting him to win. And real quick, wins, Frankie Edgar, by the way, you mentioned Jose Aldo's moving down. So is Edgar, right? I mean, he's on his way to bantamweight as well. Yeah. So this whole this whole division's about to get a giant refresh. Good right. call there. Right. Uh, but if he wins, he'll be 5-1 and one at that point in the UFC. He'll have a huge knockout win over Ricardo Lamas, and he will be the only man in the UFC to beat both Shane Burgos and Zabit Magomed Sharipov, right. the latter in Russia, and also... I'm kind of say, man, that Shane Burgos win from last year, that is starting to look mighty impressive, given I what we just saw from too. Shane this past weekend against yep. Amir Khani. Like, that dude looks legit, and the only person to beat him is Calvin Cater. Uh, also, you're looking at, otherwise, what are you looking at, right? You're looking at Yaya Rodriguez, who's only won two fights since the Edgar blowout, and I don't think is quite there yet. Uh, or you're looking at Korean Zombie, who, for as much as I love him, and I definitely love him, uh, even if he beats Ortega next month, that's only two fights in a row as well. 
I didn't really expect to say this, but the way this division is played out right now, yeah. and it's kind of so unsettled, it feels like Cater really has a chance to prove that he's the next guy too. Yeah, I think. I mean, when you look at it like that, I suppose it is possible that could happen. I just don't think it would be the slam dunk. I I, I agree with you 100%. If you look at the merit, and especially then the stack of names, and Zabit's then becoming like almost a uh, a musical chair situation, right? Because he t- he would then, I, what is Zabit, like four or five? In the division, um, he's he's five. Five, I five. Think. So let's say that he, yeah. you know, if you look at it like you're, you're just basically trading spots, let's just put him in that fifth position. The guys you mentioned ahead of uh, of Calvin in that situation, I don't think any of them would. Well, two of them are on their way out, Aldo and Edgar, and then all of a sudden you have Ortega who got blown out, you know. And unless Volkanovski wins. You know what I mean? Like, I don't see a way that he's probably going to be catapulted in there. So I suppose there is a way to do that. I I think a lot of it would depend on how he handles the beat. If he does it emphatically, you know, like it's just definitive. He goes in there and smokes him in like the first round or, or just gets a knockout in general. I could see where he might actually make that case, especially given that he was like, you know what, man, I don't care where we hold this fight. Let's go do it in Russia. For him to do it there, I think that would have some stake too. So that was actually my next thing I was going to ask you because – does Calvin get bonus points for the way that this has played out? Because in my mind, he kind of like these are all such weird esoteric things, right? Yeah, like these man. are so these are non factors. But like in my mind, he gets bonus points, man, because he asks. First of all, he asks to fight the guy that everyone has already pinned as this future yeah. champion, this future world beater. The fight is supposed to be in his hometown. It's supposed to be in Boston. He ends up it ends up getting moved not only away from his hometown, not to like a neutral site or anything, but literally into the farthest corners of enemy ter- enemy territory all the way across the world in Moscow. And he just rolls with those punches. Like he gets bonus points in my mind when it, if he comes away with a win on this, that's a little extra for me. No, I I agree with you 100%, man, and People are people should actually. I, I don't. I don't have the numbers. This would be an interesting thing to look at when a, when a fighter has a a situation where basically they're in their own backyard, and uh, you know the the people are having to travel to them. I know it happens all the time. The UFC does. You know, every foreign card basically they kind of well. There were, that first UFC 134 was mostly Brazil against the world, right? Like, and Brazil won like nine out of ten of those fights or something like that. People don't realize how much a an enthusiastic and emotional crowd feeds into that atmosphere and feeds right into the emotion of the fighter. So, I, you know, I, I, Russia doesn't really get a ton of credit for being as uh, warm and fuzzy as some of the other places. Like, I, I'm not sure it's going to be, um, you know, the fun-loving crowd that some of these that we've seen globally. But I, I know that it will matter for Zabit to be fighting in Russia, right? Like, he's going to have people there. Um, maybe he hasn't seen for a long time, you know, training in New Jersey. Uh, not everybody gets over to the States very often. He's going to have people in the building that matter to him, and he's going to want to put on his best. So, yes, a long story short, or I guess a short story long, I think that uh, <laughs> Calvin going over there like that and fighting in this situation, man, that's kind of a big deal because you got to overcome, like, this this layer of emotional attachment that uh, somebody like Zabit may have on that and plus all of his loved ones and whoever else is going to be watching, his countrymen, you know, all that stuff. I just feel like Calvin is going in, obviously going into enemy territory, and there's not going to be a lot of people in that building wanting him to win. So it will be an act of absolute will and defiance if he gets it done. Also, just even the outside factors, the jet lag, the adapting to I mean, yeah. Calvin Cater's probably never been to Russia. I mean, I don't know that's, if that's oh, true, I'm but sure you're right, man. <laughs> like all of those different layers, it adds to it. Uh, I mean, who do you have though? Right? Where I don't, you don't need to make a pick, but I mean, Zabid is a pretty heavy favorite here. He's more to three to one favorite on some books. Like I said, 
if you're someone who believed in him as a future champion, as I do personally, it feels like he's done nothing to dissuade us from that. He has been everything that he is supposed to be so far. But Calvin Cater is the definition of tough, man. And he is looking like he is starting to make a case for himself as the best UFC fighter to ever come out of the New England area. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's something. Uh, what I would come here would surprise you the least. I'll, I'll throw it to you that way. And what, what do you expect maybe to happen? I mean, I would expect, as good as Calvin is, man, I just feel like that this, I, I would expect, I guess the feeling is that this is the moment where he kind of runs into the guy who's equal to the task. When you're almost six foot two and fighting at 145 pounds, Jeez, and you have the kind yeah. of skill set that Zabit has, and just, you know, the creativity. Um, you know, just the freelance ability in there and the, and the scrambles and everything. Like, I, I just feel like he has a lot to offer for a guy with that kind of frame. Very difficult to overcome. Now, I'm not saying that Calvin can't. I, I believe that, you know, I, you mentioned that Burgos fight. I, For whatever reason, man, that, that fight between Cater and Burgos has stuck in my mind the whole way. It was just the way he picked him apart. Uh, Cater picked Burgos apart with his jab and just his movement. It was like he was just uh, target practice, the way he took Burgos down. So, this guy is, I think, a very underrated striker. I think he can get it done, but it's going to be a lot more difficult when he's dealing with that kind of gangliness and range, you know what I mean? And then when it gets to the ground, there are some questions. Um, I would I would say that the least surprising outcome would be that Zabit just is too much for Calvin in the end. Like, he just has too much in his uh, in his toolbox that he can resort to, and, he's, and he probably has, like, you know, a plan B and a plan C if things don't go his way. So I think it's just that that would overwhelm Calvin in the end. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. We we tend to disagree on these type of things, but I actually, I'm with you all the way on this one. I think Zabit, by decision, to me, yeah. feels like the one I would be the least surprised about. Yeah, that, that's, that, that that's feels exactly like the most right. likely path, maybe. Yep. Uh, although, I mean, considering the stink that we put on guys yeah. last week, that Don't just means Shane Burgos, <laughs> <laughs> Shane Burgos is going to come out there and get a three-second <laughs> knockout. You're welcome, Shane. Yeah, uh, We do it just for you This is on the Man in the Myth podcast. That's right. Um, well, hey, man, let's move on. And Chuck, oh, Chuck, 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 <laughs> if it seems like we were just here, it's because we were. Uh, you know what time it is, my friend. It is Greg Hardy fight week. I do. Oh, I'm, I'm geared up, man. This is going to be fun. <laughs> uh, Was that convincing? Not only is Greg... <laughs> Very convincing. Uh, not only is Greg Hardy fight week back once again... And not only does Greg Hardy somehow hold the distinction of being the fighter, we have most often had to preview his fights on this show so far in his existence. Uh, but he's also the busiest fighter in, the, in all of the UFC in 2019. He's seriously the most active fighter in, in 2019. Greg Hardy. Yeah. Greg Hardy. Uh, cool. Fifth fight. Cool. <laughs> um, yeah. During that time, man, here's what he's got. He's got two wins. Got one loss via disqualification. He's got one no contest because of an illegal inhaler use. <laughs> That's the Greg Hardy era, everyone. Oh, Whoa. Uh, so here we go, man. Let's dive into it because this one's a little bit different, right? Like this isn't this isn't Larry Cornfart or or Big Jake yeah. from the gas station or something, right? Like if you're looking for that guy, and I feel like the MMA world for the most part has been looking for that guy. Alexander Volkov seems like he could be that guy. Uh, yeah. It's been a whole year of one gigantic blue balling for the people out there who just want to see Greg Hardy get his ass kicked. But this kind of feels like the moment of truth that everyone yeah. has wanted, Chuck. I mean, is a reckoning upon us. It's a very interesting setup. 
first of all, yes, it is right. Like, and it it is it's it's very strange because we're almost getting no um, setup for it. In between that Boston fight where he was disqualified, uh, what was that? Just a couple of weeks ago, or not disqualified? The no contest with Inhaler was just a couple of weeks ago in Boston. Um, we've had UFC 244 in New York, so kind of the tension kind of swayed very directly into this big event with the with the BMF and all everything going on. It's almost like it's flown under the radar that he kind of got exactly what people have been kind of pining for, which is uh, a situation where he should get his ass kicked. So it's a weird setup because I don't feel like it's as gratifying in this larger collective sense because people have been preoccupied with the other event. But now that it's upon us, it just feels, you know, it has that feeling a little bit. It also has the feeling of like... Hey man, let me see. Like almost the UFC has kind of given Greg Hardy a, a little bit of a, a mulligan for what happened uh, in Boston. They give him a lot of mulligans. Yeah, and so it it doesn't quite have a satisfactory like feel to it. Like it has a sense of pending. I think there's like the pending of like how does he how is he going to do? This is not just a step up in competition. This is a massive step up in competition. You know what I mean? Like this is you know uh, I mean, you know it's almost Volkov it's almost won. a reward. Yeah. It is. And in Volkov, before that Derek Lewis Hail Mary comeback um, at, in Las Vegas at UFC 229, he had won six in a row. He had finished a couple of guys, Stefan Struve and uh, uh, He was being Bertun. talked about in title conversation. Yeah, he was. If he beats Derek Lewis, he's probably fighting for it, right? Like, it's just. Yeah. So, because Derek Lewis ended up fighting for it. But this is the type of. I mean, this is like a ridiculous jump in competition. It's almost. If we were talking about the. Silly escalation of Hardy. What, what? Why they get? What? What's with this fight? What's you know? This makes no sense on a whole different level because it's like now you're just jumping him into a top five opponent who should just walk right through him. Um, it just feels weird. But I will say that if you're just into this to watch Greg Hardy get his ass kicked, I would definitely be tuning into this Moscow event because I feel like that's probably what's going to happen. It very much feels to me like. Say I'm the guy at the YMCA or the fitness, uh, the, the whatever you know, LA Fitness, just balling on people <laughs> in the basketball at, at the LA Fitness. Which just, I'm an all star out there, which as as, as you do, you yes. know. Uh, <laughs> I know you got a mean three point shot over there, yeah. but just balling all over this LA Fitness people, and some guy comes in and sees me and is like, "You, I'm assigning you to the Phoenix Suns right now." And it's just skipping all these levels of college, G League, yeah. Australian League, is, Russian yeah. League, whatever. <laughs> like you're just jumping forty levels. Um, it is. And, let and me, with, let me, with with no notice, because obviously, like this is all happening oh, within the yeah. confines of like four weeks. Oh yeah, no that that'd be like if they saw me today and were like, "Hey, you're gonna go play the LA Lakers in a week." Like, yes, okay. exactly. <laughs> like, but here, Sean, you guard LeBron. I'm like, okay, I, I got this, guys. Don't worry. Yeah. Uh, let me let me switch this up to you real quick, though. I mean, what do you think? The UFC wants to happen because I was sitting here and I was thinking about this and I, I am genuinely curious about this. You have the, the UFC has obviously invested a lot into Greg Hardy. They are shelling out six figures every time he fights and they are taking tons and tons of self-inflicted heat when they do. Mm. But they've also seemingly dug their heels in the way Dana White does when he feels like he's right and the rest of the world is wrong and y'all just need to shut up. Uh, so the they're like totally pot committed at this point. They are in on Greg Hardy. But the flip side is, if Volkov wins, he is forever the guy who KO'd Greg Hardy, right? Like, there, you can't get any magic like the magic of the first one. The, whoever that yeah. first guy is who KO's Greg that's Hardy true. whenever it happens, whoever it happens, that's a career-changing thing just because of the fraud of it. Just to, how much, how badly the world wants to see it. Or Schadenfreude, did I say that right? I think I definitely yeah, I think said that right. I think you got it. I think that's right. 
Sean okay. Carter. Blah, blah. Yeah, he knows. <laughs> yeah, you're, in, like, you're in the ballpark. That was fine. Yeah. <laughs> so if if you IV'd them up with truth serum today, Dana White, Sean Shelby, Mick Maynard, what do you think they want to happen? Man. You know, I feel like this would have been easier like a fight or two ago to be like, well, I think they obviously want Greg Hardy. I'm not so sure now, man. I think that, like you said, I they're pocket committed. I'm not sure you would have put him into a situation like this, though, if you weren't willing at this point to accept that this might be, you know, kind of the beginning of the end. You know what I mean? So I think that they get more. Honestly, man, I don't think that they really want to try to uh, market Volkov. I don't think they're like, well, we're going to try to, you know, we think he's got big star potential or we think he's going to challenge for it. I don't even think that he's one of those guys. But I, I I I get a little torn thinking about the Greg Hardy thing because of everything you mentioned. At some point, I feel like, and maybe this is just uh, me, kind of wishful thinking or something like that. But like, I feel like there's a little bit of uh, an internal um, something with the UFC where they're like, "Boy, this is not worth it." You know what I mean? Like, I'm not even sure he's pulling in the numbers. Like that, they kind of hoped. I'm not sure of any of that stuff. I really don't feel like he's transcended in the way they thought he would. And of course, it's aided by how strange his fights have been. You know, like these fights have all been very strange affairs. Uh, the one, and then Dana, it doesn't help it because after he fought, what, what's his name, Dmitry uh, Smolyakov, yeah. like he was like, who was this guy? Where did we find this guy? You know, they get Juan <laughs> Adams, and Juan Adams goes for a single leg and never lets it go. Like he was going to take it with them all the way home, and uh, and then this guy Ben Sosley was supposed, you know, I think he was supposed to be just kind of a. Um, a showcase event and it ends up being controversial, you know, in the end and a, and a no contest and leaves Dana kind of trying to explain what happened and, and questioning basically what had happened. And then you end up in this spot. I don't know if, I, I don't know if Hardy is worth it in the end for the UFC. I think that UFC has so many different commodities. I'm just not sure Greg Hardy really falls into it, but I do feel like, I guess if you looked at it and you said, well, Greg, let's say Greg Hardy wins. You have guys like Derek Lewis out there pounding their chest ready to fight him. So I feel like in that sense, they, they're, they're, it's a no-lose situation for them. Oh, man, I'm glad you just brought that up. Because here, I have, a, I have a two-part thing that I want to kind of explore with you. One, is there any way that a Greg Hardy loss ends this experiment? Because I, I feel like I'm, I'm sensing a lot of the same feelings you kind of yeah. just mentioned, where like the UFC was all the way in on this guy for a long time. And it was always that question of that that our, our good friend Ben Folks, colleague over at the Athletic, always asked, where it's just like, this is the guy? Like, this is the guy you're choosing to take all this heat for. This yeah. guy who's consistently messing up in this way and that way and that way and that way. That's the guy. That's the guy you're going all in on. Okay. But like, I don't know. It, it, these fights are weird, man. And I think the inhaler thing, the, the reaction from the UFC afterwards was somewhat, like you said, Dana White was just almost incredulous. And I feel like at some there's got to be attrition level at some point, right? Of like, are the are the yeah. returns worth it? Because I agree, I don't know that they're getting big numbers for Greg Hardy fights anymore. The first one, I know they did because it was the novelty of it, but I don't know that that's happening anymore now. Does seeing this guy finally get what I feel like most people would view as his comeuppance? Do you feel like that ends the interest at that point? Yeah, I, I think it takes a pretty big blow, and that's why I, that's why I guess even the fact that they are letting Hardy kind of jump into a bigger a big situation against a you know a known fighter like this tells you that maybe they're willing to throw the dice on something like that now whereas maybe they weren't before um I could see it being that way because I think a lot of the psychology behind Greg Hardy is 
to watch him get his ass kicked. He has not done himself any favors. In fact, it's, I don't even think he's embracing the heel role so much as he's just been kind of tone deaf, as Dana White has been through this process. But I feel like at some point, you know, you're going to get one shot at that thing that they're kind of dangling out there, like which is, hey, at least tune in to see him get his ass kicked. So once that happens, I agree with you. I'm not sure that you need to see him continuously get his ass kicked and be continuously put into positions um, to do that. Like, I, I just don't see where there's value in that. I could see this. It really depends in some ways on his contract, what he's worked out with them. But um, I could see if he goes in there and he gets smoked the way that you think he probably might in this fight. Like, uh, I could see this kind of being the beginning of the end for his UFC career. I think he'd probably still get another fight, especially if guys like Derek Lewis want to fight him anyway. Like, I'm if something yeah. like that is out there for him, I could see that happening. But this could be... This could be for you, mercifully, the 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 kind of beginning of the end of the uh, Greg Hardy era. Well, uh, let's I want, let's talk about the flip side of that because that was the other part of my question, which is one thing I think we may have to. I mean, I don't even know that I think it, but one thing we may actually have to reckon with after this weekend, and I always knew in the back of my head it would come, but it, I feel like it now could come even faster depending on what happens than I expected. Yeah, but man, are, are we are we like seriously prepared for a world in which Greg Hardy is legitimately good at this? Like, if he goes out there and, and does what I don't think any of us expect him to do and beats Volkov, are yeah. is as the MMA world as a whole ready for that? Because I, I that's, that's then this becomes this be this changes from just like does. a thing that we have to deal with to a thing that we have to deal with in right. all caps. Like then it's and just front that- and center we're involved. I mean, athletic is a big place, you know, um, we're involved in it because we cover MMA specifically. I think if Greg Hardy ascends to something where he's in a top, I don't know, whatever he would be top like 10 ish, but top they, five at that point. Right. Yeah. So let's say it's top five. I mean, even bigger. So like he's a top five guy. I think that's when the greater scrutiny starts to finally kick in. Because right now, I think a lot of people are like, ah, it's not even worth it. He's just kind of moonlighting in the UFC. He's trying to milk a second career after being banished from the first, all that sort of thing. If he's truly successful, you know those people are going to come out. Uh, you know, the the greater, the bigger publications, the TV you know, entities, all that stuff are going to pay bigger attention to this guy. And um, I think that only then does it start to really become the gravity uh, on the bigger media scale of, what, of what's going on. You know what I mean? And that would be weird. It would be weird to deal with. We've dealt with a lot in MMA, man. We see crazy things happen all the time. It's not out of the ordinary, especially at heavyweight, for him to go in there. And Derek Lewis did it, right? Derek Lewis knocked out Volkov. It was at, toward the end. He was getting pieced up, but then he lands a Hail Mary. What's to say that Greg Hardy can't go in there? That's what he likes to do is throw bombs and just clip him early. And then all of a sudden, that's the reality, especially because Volkov was not planning on having this fight. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. Yeah. He had somebody else in mind, and now he's kind of had to wrap his mind around a different fighter. Anything can happen. I feel like it would be a weird thing. I will say this, man, and it's it pains me to kind of say it only in the sense of like I'm, I, you know, Greg Hart. It's a it's a hard situation. The guy has just, he there's no real contrition in the air, man. I mean, he's just who he is. And I'm like, I will give him this credit though. If he goes into Russia, and this is similar to what we were just talking about with Calvin Cater, in a situation where. You know, the, the you know things changed for him. Like, he's supposed to just jump right back, and he goes into Russia, and he's able to do that. I would I would definitely be willing to give him his kudos on that level because I don't see it happening. If he's able to pull it off, it's hard not to say, like, hey, man, you know, you I guess you've deserved your chance to fight some of the bigger guys, even if I don't like it. I just don't think the MMA world's ready, man. 
Yeah. I really don't think I like not us personally, but I just don't think as a whole the MMA world is equipped to deal with something like that. If Greg Hardy yeah. is actually legitimate and now this becomes an actual thing that people need to talk about consistently. I don't know. Like, I, I don't even know what that would yeah. look like because of the way we sort of regard this guy right now. It's easy to dismiss him right now, but it suddenly becomes a lot harder if he goes out and, like you said, that's catches true. Volkov. We're not Saturday. dismissing him if he wins. That's for sure. You can't dismiss him at that point. I think at that point, the the, the best case scenario then is the Derek Lewis fight. Like, that, that becomes yeah. actually a massive fight in some strange way at that point. Yeah, it would, actually. And I think that, again, uh, this only enhances the effect of then Derek Lewis's turn, right, to try to humble this guy. So I feel like I guess that becomes the th- – it's an ugly, ugly narrative, right? Like it's an ugly theme to work off of, but I guess that becomes the theme and the narrative. Yeah, we shall see, man. We shall see. <laughs> we'll have our answers soon enough. Uh, before we get out of here, I'll throw it to you one more time, man. I mean, like I said, this is kind of not really the best card. It's kind of a two-fight card. There's interesting names up and down. You got anything else you want to mention or you want to just move on? I mean, we could move on. I, and there's a couple of dudes on there that are, you know, it, it, oh, this is the type of card where I feel like they're trying to, um, they're giving you a lot of the Russian, you know, a lot of the Russian vibe. They've got a lot of guys. Uh, is it Habib's brother or cousin that's fighting on this? Abu Ak, Abu yeah. Akbar. Akbar? Uh, Abu, Abu Becker Ak- Nurmagomedov. Yes. And Thank you, Chris. No problem. They're Jeez. cousins. Yes. Uh, they're cousins. Yeah, they're cousins. cousins. There you go. I mean, that's obviously anybody, any blood relation of Nurmagomedov, you kind of, um, give a little special attention. I I think it's cool that guys like Ed Herman are still, you know, plotting out there after all this time. <laughs> Ed Herman is on this card. I believe he's on the oh main card God. too. So uh, I always like most, to see short fuse fight. That's the most Chuck Hall pick I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. I throw you this whole card full of Russian guys. And you're like, you know, Ed Herman. Ed Herman, yeah, that's man. the guy. Well, the truth uh, of the matter is, if I'm being completely honest, a lot of these Russian cats I don't know that much about. So if I'm being honest. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I also I would like to see what Anthony Rocco Martin does uh, for yeah, his comeback. He had that hard loss against Damian Maya. He's on this main card. I didn't even know he was on this main card until I looked at it today, uh, <laughs> which shows you how much uh, push yeah. that's getting. But neither here nor there. That wraps up our UFC Moscow preview. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to jump into something fun. All right, guys, and we are back. And we're going to do something a little different today. Uh, we're taking some inspiration from our colleague Josh Gross, who did a, uh, I thought it was a really, really fun piece today on The Athletic. He basically broke down, I don't even know how many guys he ended up having in this bracket. It seemed like a 32-man bracket or something. Yeah, I think Chuck, it was. do you know? Something like that? It was that? 32. He, did, he ended up with 32. Originally, I think he was going to do 16, and then uh, there were so <laughs> many our, choices that he expanded. Our Slack channel just kind of exploded with people yeah. suggesting ideas, and I, I think it overwhelmed <laughs> Josh. It did. Josh. But, man, that uh, but was, was a big a, project, too. He wrote, like, blurbs on each one. I was like, whoa, this is a big project. Yeah, I don't know how many words that ended up being, but kudos to Josh Gross. Um, go check out that piece on The Athletic. I don't even think I've said what it is yet, but he basically did a tournament to decide who is the true BMF. A nice little way to put the bow on this last week, uh, really kind of historic week that we just got off of in NYC. So we're going to do our own little mini version of that. We're not going to do some big giant brackets. We're going to keep it simple. Uh, but me, you, Chuck, and also producer Chris, he's getting in on the action. We're going to take turns. Uh, we're going to have a four-man bracket each. And so it's, it's however – we're keeping these rules loosey-goosey. However you want to define this, however you want to define the matchups, whatever, whoever somebody wins, it doesn't matter. It's up to you guys. Uh, so we're going to do four people each, two matchups, one on each side of the bracket, and then we're going to meet them in the finals in the second round. Uh, and, yes, we're going to see who, who – I guess uh, Gage, who thinks who is the uh, BMF of all time. 
Love you it. You guys ready to do this? Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it, man. All right. So also, we don't know each other's brackets, so there could be some overlap here. We could have completely things going on. We shall see. Uh, but I'll start us off. And so for me, my four-man bracket, my first side of my bracket, I have none other than 2013 to 2016 era UFC champion era Robbie Lawler. Okay. Ruthless Robbie Lawler. This ver- this version of Robbie Lawler should be the first entry into any BMF tournament in my mind without question. I mean, you just look at his nine-fight run. Dude comes back from the U- to the UFC after being just a middling, unmotivated guy in strike force. He instantly murders two men. Josh Koscheck, Bobby Volker. And right there, just outrageous knockouts. Like, murdered. Absolutely murdered them. And right there, we should have known. We should have known what was coming. It didn't make yeah. any sense. Everybody written him off. Chuck, you had written a sensational long form about that back in the day. Oh, yeah. About all those uh, Milintich guys. Just comes out of nowhere. Does those two and then beats Red Hot Roy McDonald. Loses fight of the year against the champ Hendricks. Come back and wins two more fights. And then beats Hendrick in it basically another fight of the year. Same year. Then wins fight of the year and fight of all time the next year against Rory McDonald. Defends his title with another fight of the year against Carlos Condit the next year. If there is one human being in the history of time that I don't want to get on the wrong side of, and we are not talking about size, it's that era of Robbie Lawler. So that's my number one. Good one. That's that's my first entrant. Uh, and he would be facing on that side of the bracket the man, the myth, the legend. 2002 Yoshihiro Takeyama era Don Fry. The oh. most American man. There we go. Yeah. Bringing out some surprises. Arizona the most American guy, right? man. Uh, ASU guy. My fellow <laughs> Sun Devil. I'm doing the forks up right now. He, Don Fry, man. He is the eternal BMF to me. He, he, he That Takeyama fight is my favorite fight of all time. Yeah. It has been since I was a kid. I mean, that that fight, that, this guy was basically just a character of an American action hero with the mustache and the American flag you. shorts. Dude just looks like he came out of a video game. And then those first 60 seconds, my goodness, man, I don't know that there's a wilder 60 seconds in the history of the sport than those first 60 seconds of that Takeyama fight. Uh, just the best possible version, highest possible level version of a hockey fight. It's just unreal. Don Rye is forever a G for a lot of reasons, but that will always be my number one reason. So those are my two on that side of my bracket. Then my other two, I'll do this really quick. Uh, the other two, 2005 era-ish, Flying Stomps era Shogun Hua. You got to have that guy. Uh, okay. You, you got it. The flying stop Shogun. That was my first love in the sport, man. I, I loved that guy when I was a fan. I'm pretty sure if you go back and you look at a bunch of old video games from the early 2000s, you're going to see a lot of Legend of Zelda files with characters named Shogun. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was just putting that guy in anything. Yeah. The flying stomps and the soccer kicks, what he did to Rampage, what he did to Ricardo Arona, Alistair yeah. Overeem, the, the little Nog fight. It's epic. Dude was just young violence personified. Everything about him oozed cool to me. So that's one. And then he's going to take on 2000 to 2004 era Vandalay Silva. Those are my four. And Vandalay Silva wraps it up. He, that is the pure Sandstorm era. The era where Sandstorm was the most terrifying song in the entire world. When you heard that opening no- those opening notes, man. Do-do-do-do-do. Yeah. Do-do-do-do-do. <laughs> that was the most terrifying, frightening Good thing song. in the world. Everything about that guy was scary. He was presumably roided up out of his mind. Oh, yeah. He had a, a, a like just bulging veins, uh, veins like cable cords. wires, like just veins, cords. cords. Yeah. <laughs> Freaking skull tattoo. He had a dude had a skull tattoo. Oh. He had that wrist roll thing that he liked to do between, before the fight. 
I don't know what that was and what it was about it, but that was just really menacing to me. And then that nickname, man. I mean, come on, the nickname. Like, what the fuck is that? What the fuck? Like, who are you fighting this weekend? I'm fighting this guy that they call the axe murderer. He has a skull tattoo. Oh, oh yeah, good luck. (laughs) Good luck, man. Uh, Yeah, no kidding. So those are my four. And just really quickly, I'll break down who wins on my side and goes to the finals. Uh, Robbie Lawler wins that first matchup against Don Fry. If there's one human being in the history of time, I don't want to get on the wrong side of, like I said, it's that guy. With Fry, it kind of felt like you could still reason with him. Like it could felt like yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> like like it felt like maybe like there's a point you, of no return for Robbie Lawler. You're just never gonna yeah. get him back. Yeah, yeah. It felt like you know like you could convince Don Fry that you know maybe this isn't a big deal and we should just go like get a medium rare steak and a whiskey and talk things out. But with Lawler, there was no there was no change in that guy's mind. He's just a murderer. Uh, yeah. It's Robbie Lawler. He's going to the finals on that side, and then on the other side, it's funny because Josh had this exact same matchup with Shogun and Vandalay. He went the other way, but I'm a zag where he was zigged. I'm picking Vandalay. And for me, I say uh. this again as someone who loves Shogun, but the reason is simple. Shogun was a psychopath inside the ring, but he was also kind of a teddy bear outside of it. Yep. Uh-uh-uh. Uh-uh. I can't have that. I can't have that in this BMF tourney. If you were trying to go to the finals for this, for me, nothing about you could even reasonably be described as teddy yeah. bearish. It's Vandalay versus Robbie Lawler. I love it. And I should add that, obviously, uh, for Josh's, I think, who will won the whole thing, right? Uh, actually, I think 2011, John Jones did. Yeah, oh, he right. did. Okay. Yep. Okay, cool. I know that he threw, he threw an audible finals. there at the last second. Who okay. was supposed to win it? Yeah. So the, the fun thing about this exercise is that there is a subjectivity and there is kind of a definition as to what a BMF is, right? Like, are we talking about in cage or are we talking about a guy who carries that kind of vibe outside of the, you know, outside of the octagon who's maybe iconoclastic or um you know just has a a strain of like this is who authentic nature of badassery right like where you're just like i wouldn't want to mess with him if i saw him in a bar i wouldn't want to mess with him you know if you knew he wanted to fight you you'd be running the other way type of thing um and in that vein man i kind of i went through mine and i was like i didn't i kind of went outside the box a little bit but the first guy i took was robbie lawler for the the exact same (laughs) reasons the exact same reasons you did um my favorite thing, I mean, this guy, like you mentioned the run he had and what he did kind of, you know, wreaking havoc on that division, basically altering guys in, in in that octagon, which I'm not sure how many people can say that they altered guys in that sense, but had the giddiness to do it. And I, and this isn't a guy who, you know, uh, expressed his emotional. This is a guy who falls asleep at press conferences because he's tired of, you know, tired of the talk he wants to just get in there he doesn't you know his his war with mcdonald was like one of the quietest lead-ups to a fight ever and then they go in there and they almost kill each other like that was ridiculous but my favorite thing man the thing that communicated to me forever just how nuts he was was when he, there was the the talk about him fighting conor mcgregor back in the day. do you remember this interview he was on some panel oh, or something they said yes um he said something along the lines of you know he he was playing for keeps and he said because if i heard him i wasn't going to take his neck and they said, what would you take? And he just chewed his gum and he just went, his soul. <laughs> and to me, I was he like, that's... Smile. The, he didn't even he smile. He didn't smile. It was like the most serious, ridiculous... It's it's one of my favorite clips of all time. Um, it, it's the and, ability to say something that any other person on earth saying, would you be like, well, that's corny. But when Robbie says it, you go, oh, that's terrifying. He but would. all that does is make the hair stand up in your yeah. arms. You're like, oh my God, this guy is crazy. Like, he's crazy. I think that he'd be the scariest guy to have to meet in any situation involving a fight. I would never want to see that guy. So he's he's my first guy on my first side of my bracket. 
And then obviously, since they're not fighting each other, we're talking about who's the bigger badass or the, the the BMF in a situation. I'm gonna go. I'm not sure Josh even had her on on uh you know had her listed, but Valentina Shevchenko to me is like this. Oh, that's a great, crazy. I like it. That's a great pick. Crazy, like I feel like we haven't got to the bottom of just how crazy she can get. Um, she's got a tattoo of a Glock. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> she survived a gunfight in Peru. <laughs> like these are like. You know, there's something very unnerving about her, man. Look what she, and then you get in the octagon and just what she like did to Jessica I, you know, and then just goes and breaks into these dances like it's nothing, almost like she thrills in it. It's like the it's kind of like a, you know, serial killer playing with the victim's liver afterwards or something like that. You know, it's just it's weird. It's crazy. It's out there. I'm going to say that she has the a crazy vibe, man. That 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 Priscilla is at Cochera, that fight where the, they brought up Cachuera. somebody to challenge her, and she outstruck yeah. her 230 to 3 and basically made a masochist out of referee Yar- um, Mario Yamasaki. She was the first nail in his coffin in terms of being a referee because he let that fight keep going. You know what I mean? So yeah, she's that, just. That was almost a mur- I mean, that was basically a murder you were watching. So I mean, he just didn't stop it, right? It was crazy, man. And so, like, just given those things, inside and outside, uh, so unnerving. I'm going to put her in the, in the bracket with Robbie Lawler. So I those like are it. my that's my first side, okay? Okay. Second, you know I wasn't gonna go a whole segment here about the, the BMS without mentioning my boy Matt Brown. Oh, I knew it. <laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> See, I think Josh Josh had him on like a short list, but he didn't make his uh his thirty two. But to me, man, this guy was fucking dead at one point. You know? <laughs> he died um of a heroin overdose. He started fighting in like barns and rural like Ohio man just off of dares the dude has like not a he has like zero um emotional input it's almost like a, a shark in that way shark eyes type of thing very similar to Robbie Lawler um in that sense he has the look of like a prehistoric animal that's what it is you know like he just he has zero f's to give in there but his run man from 2012 to 2014 where I think he was like he won like seven at in a row uh and six of those were finishes I thought was about as good as it gets in terms of just how barbaric he could make things. That Eric Silva fight, well, I'll always remember when he was just getting blasted in the opening round, then he starts coming back, and it's in Ohio, and everybody's on their feet. That guy, to me, man, he can he can do no wrong. I know he doesn't get the, the kind of attention, but I feel like he does kind of, you know, he's always lived a hard life. I think he just kind of represents being a badass in general. Like, uh, So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have him in my bracket, man, and I'm going to have him go against None other than Chuck Liddell, man. You know, to me, like that guy back in the day, I, I, you know, back in the like the mid 2000s when he was, you know, on his run and all that stuff with the Mohawk. I just I thought everything was cool about him. I love that he kind of would paint his toenails and just dare you to say anything about it. And I've talked to him before, like he and you talk to people around him. I've been to his house for a piece. He has a stripper pole in his house, you know. He's got like uh, bottles of hot sauces lining up and down his uh, his refrigerator door, and he just drinks them. He drinks them like they're what? <laughs> like they're refreshments. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. It's Wait, like are he you does this serious? Kind of stuff. Yeah, and he he would go to uh, he would go out in San Luis Obispo, and people you know people would see sometimes see a UFC fighter, and they're like they get drunk and they're like, you know what I'm going to do? I want to see what I can do against Chuck Liddell. He never would even back down from that. You know, some fighters are like, nah, I'm not going to worry. Chuck is just such a like you know, a biker hun who shows up at these situations that he's like, yeah, sure. I'll fight you. You know, like to me, I'm just like, the guy is just out of his mind. And he always has been obviously like the way his career kind of went in the end was a little sad. But if you're looking back at the mid two thousands, Chuck Liddell, man, I, I got to have him in there uh, going against Matt Brown in, in my second bracket. Okay. So who, who like, who's winning those fights? Who's meeting in the finals? So I'm with you, man. Like, uh, 
I look at the Robbie Lawler. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Robbie Lawler in the end only because he's given us a full display of just how cold he runs. You know, like I feel like you know he's he's had those moments. I feel like I'm kind of with the Shevchenko one. I'm like I'm kind of waiting to see more evidence of uh, of her BMFery. Um, so it's kind of it's still impending a little bit. Like I feel like she's established some great groundwork, but we're, we'll wait and see how she plays out over the next couple of years. So I'm gonna have Lawler advancing in that in that bracket. And then it's real tough in that man. I feel like this is just a coin flip between Brown and, and Liddell, man. And those in those eras I'm talking about, um, I'd probably in the end give it to Chuck Liddell. I just think oh. that, yeah, just in the going way the he, other way. I thought you were yeah. going the other way. I just think that he kind of, to me, in terms of mixed martial arts, you know how GSP came along and he kind of expressed this professionalism about about MMA and got people on board. Like, hey, these are professional athletes. Um, they should get respect for their discipline. I felt like Chuck was kind of the opposite of all that. You know, he's just kind of like the punk rock, like spit in your face, all that stuff. Like he was, he wasn't like t- truly disrespectful or anything. It was just, he had the look and he had the actions in that octagon of, of a guy like that. So I'm going to have Chuck narrowly beating out, uh, uh, Matt Brown and going against Robbie Lawler in the finals. All right. I love it. So I have Robbie Lawler versus Vanderlei Silva. You got Robbie Lawler versus Chuck Liddell. Chris. Yes. How are we doing? I'm doing good. This is, uh, I, I like how things are shaping up here. And I actually have two <laughs> of the same guys that you guys have picked in okay. my fights. But but we'll start first. This is a little bit off the wall. I'm going with 2018 dad Cowboy Cerrone. That's the version oh. of Cerrone oh. I'm going with. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah, because I thought about it. I mean, obviously he had a, a, a streak earlier in his career where, you know, he got to a title fight. He ended up losing in that fight. But then he goes away, comes back. He, he flirts in the welterweight division, comes back down to lightweight after the birth of his son. And he's this like reborn kind of light but incredibly intense and focused guy. And I like that look on Cerrone. He arm bars Perry. He destroys Alexander Hernandez. And then uh, has a real dominant performance over Raging Al uh, during this run that I'm calling Dad Cerrone. So I'm going to put Cowboy Cerrone from that era as my first entrant into the BMF. And plus, he lives at the BMF ranch. It's like, you know. Kind of hard not to include him. Purely is that guy, right? And then (laughs) We needed needed some Cerrone representation. Of course. (laughs) Uh, And then I also have the, you know, 2004 era, that, that era Chuck Liddell. Uh, you, you know, where he finishes Tito twice, he finishes Randy Couture, Babalu, you know, the, just an unbelievable uh, assassin at that point. And really the guy that got me to focus on the sport. So, you know, like one of my original favorite fighters to watch. So Chuck Liddell and Dad Cowboy are my uh, first matchup. Okay, I like that. Okay, okay. And then, of course, 2014, you know, that era, Robbie Lawler, champion uh-huh. Robbie Lawler. He's got a consensus. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, the, you you can't not include that guy in the, in a tournament like this. And to the point uh, about him having no, you know, kind of off button like that. That's the guy that once you get him past the point, he's never going to stop. I had the privilege of sitting next to Robbie at a tough finale years ago, cage side, <laughs> just randomly. I'm sitting there. It's like one of my first UFC events I'm ever at. And Robbie comes into the VIP section and he sits down right next to me. So now I'm like. <gasps> It's Robbie Lawler. So I start talking to him throughout the fight. Hold on, you just humble bragged that you were in the yeah, VIP section. Yeah, I love it, I'm just, Chris. I, well, in my uh, in my past life, I was the uh, producer on UFC Unfiltered, so I got to go to a bunch of events when we would go to do like live shows and things like that. So I got to sit in uh, pretty 
you know, good seats octagon side. Um, Look at you. Look at you. I oh, like you it. Know, you know, you uh, know. But anyway, so I got to sit next to Robbie Lawler and I'm talking to him the whole night throughout the fights, having a great time. He's he's breaking down what people should be doing in certain positions. It's unbelievable. Then in a break in the action, I, I, I go to Robbie. I go, hey, do you have any interest in, uh, in fighting Nate? Because at this point it was like kind of up in the air who he'd be fighting next. And he's was jovial the whole night. And then he looks right at me, eyes glazed over and goes, nah, I don't want to hurt Nate. And I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So that gives you an idea of that Robbie Lawler. Uh, forever love that Robbie Lawler. And he's my uh, third entrant in this tournament. Yeah. And he's going against my... That's a I, great story. That's a great oh, story. Oh, it was unbelievable. And then it just goes right back to talk. He was saying he was hungry. He was having a good time. You know, but I don't want to hurt Nate. D- deadpan. Uh, incredible. <laughs> my final entrant, probably my favorite fighter of all time, winner of 16 straight fights, a UFC record, one of the all-time greats in the UFC middleweight division, one of the all-time greats ever, Yushin Anderson. Okami. Yes, Yushin Okami, exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm calling him 2006 Chris Lieben Anderson Silva, which started the whole you, uh, you know 16-win streak. Hell yeah. Um, Obviously not the the BMF outside of the cage. He's one of the most soft-spoken, like, sweetest guys you're going to run in, into. But anybody that can finish, you know, 14 of 16 fights in a row, uh, mm-hmm. just a murderous row of people and how he was finishing them, um, yeah. I got to put Anderson Silva in this tournament. And actually, Anderson's won me quite a bit of money betting against my friends over the years. So <laughs> I really appreciate that. All right. As long as you're willing. That's to a great that. pick. That's a great pick. And I'll always remember the way that that damn run started was Chris Lieben being like, nah. Those guys in Japan don't know shit. <laughs> uh, it's amazing. Him just walking into the cage, obviously not understanding what was about to happen. <laughs> yes. Man, just really quickly, if I can jump in. Yep. Chris Lieben told me a long time ago, I did a story where I talked to all Anderson Silva's opponents during that 16 fight run. And Chris Lieben told me a story about that fight where he got knocked out. Obviously got really just horrifically knocked out. And the next night, he was in Las Vegas and he was going to like some casino. He was in some casino and he was in like the bookie area where like you can do sports betting. And so there's TVs all over the place. And one of the TVs was pl- replaying his fight. And he thought, because he was still like crazy concussed 24 hours later, he thought that he was supposed to be fighting that night. And he turned to his coach oh and was just gosh. like, wait, this is right now. How am I not? Like, he was just completely confused that he was seeing himself fight wow. Anderson Silva. He didn't realize that it happened yet. And it was just like, oh, my fucking God. That's terrifying on so many wow. different levels. What yeah. the fuck? What kind of sport are we in? That's uh, crazy, man. Sorry to interrupt, though. Yeah. No, no. That's, that's Original ballet of violence. Isn't that what Joe Rogan said during that fight? It was, yeah. like the, it was like the clip they used a million times. That was crazy, man. Yeah, it's an incredible fight. And also to do just a, another quick little sidebar to that, the Chael Sonnen submission is a fight that Anderson, by all rights, is losing. He, he lost that fight. I ended yeah. up winning a bet against my friend that we made between the fourth and fifth round because I told him oh if Chael Sonnen keeps laying on top of Anderson Silva like that, he's going to get submitted. And sure oh enough, two minutes. I mean, obviously that's a little, uh, that's you know, crazy, I was man. a little foolish <laughs> probably making that no. bet, but I thought it was always possible going into that I would that say that round. you were maybe the only guy that I know of, I've ever heard, who kind of saw that coming then because uh, I was sitting there in Oakland at UFC 117 and I, I, it was like one of the most shocking things I thought 
I've been a part of in a building. That was so crazy to see it just t- turn on him that quickly, and then he taps a fight completely changing um, from from what seems inevitable at that point to becoming something else. It was like nutty, man. Yeah, it was. Cr- I was in a Buffalo Wild Wings. If that gives you any context, but <laughs> the place went insane. Uh, <laughs> it was just the way Chael was That's keeping cool. his arms down on the ca- the canvas, and I was like, something's gonna happen. Yeah. Here. But anyway, see this is why he's smarter than us, Sean. You see this? He should be the one making the predictions <laughs> and the locks going forward. In my first round, Dad Cerrone versus Chuck Liddell. I got to advance vintage Chuck Liddell to go past Cerrone. I think he probably catches him, knocks him out at some point. Liddell was just a wild man, and I think he could put the pressure on Cerrone and back him up, and that's how he'd beat him. Um, And, God, this is a tough one. I hate putting these two against each other, but it's hard to bet against Anderson Silva. Even though Robbie is such a warrior, I think Anderson just has a much more diverse uh, array of strikes that he could put on Robbie and he would keep the pressure up and he would advance. So my final is 2004 Chuck Liddell against 2006 Chris Lieben, Anderson Silva. Wow. Oh, man. I like it. Mm. I love it. I like the diversity, too. Everyone kind of doing their own thing. Yeah. Uh, okay. Everybody's kind of so looking what, at this differently, too, because obviously you're thinking of a head-to-head matchup, whereas I'm thinking of just general vibe you know with the fighting so right. but that's good though man it's a, this is what these uh, that's the way the ufc kind of rolled it out there there was no real definition to this whole thing <laughs> oh, yeah for sure <laughs> no one can truly define a bmf you know it <laughs> exactly <laughs> all right so let's dive into these finals now so i as i said i have robbie lawler versus vanderlei silva i have ufc champion era robbie lawler versus pure sandstorm era vanderlei silva this one was tough man I consider these two men probably the baddest men in the history of this sport in different ways. Like this is different eras, different standards of BMF nits. Uh, but for me, the pick, I there again, there is no fighter that I have ever covered or watched that has exuded pure tear to me in the way that UFC champion Robbie, Robbie Lawler did. Yeah. He's the pick, man. Three fight of the years in a row, all of which were just, as you said, Chuck, like altering, altered guys. Yeah changed the trajectories of their career. Carlos Condit, never the same. Rory McDonald, never the same. Just Johnny terrifying. Hendricks. Johnny, oh my God, Johnny Hendricks. Poor Johnny Hendricks. <laughs> just all those guys, man. All of the, just terrifying levels in those fights of this guy is a Terminator and nothing phases him and he is not going to stop until I am dead. That version, that version of Robbie Lawler felt immortal to me. Like, like Vandalay Silva was thoroughly terrifying but he never felt like cosmically immortal, like just like touched by the gods immortal to me in the same way that Robbie Lawler did. I don't know that anybody has ever felt like that to me. To me, this is Robbie Lawler. This is the hardest decision I've ever had to make, but I, I Robbie Lawler <laughs> takes it. He's the champion in my BMF tourney. I, I think you're absolutely right about that. And also, I think we've talked about it on the show before. Coolest walkout song ever at that point, too. Yeah. Oh, was he still? He was still doing Sam and Dave, right? Yep. Oh, that's such a great song. Such a great song. Yes, yeah, I think I'm going to have to agree with you here, Sean, because I have Lawler obviously going against uh, Chuck, right? That's who I had in my finals. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think on the levels you're mentioning, just there's something that runs far deeper than just this guy who's this marauder in the cage. Like, he has always conveyed himself as just a dangerous individual. Like, you mentioned in that story, Chris, I mean, I've heard him say things like that on multiple occasions. Yeah. Where it just gets serious, and it just makes you it makes you like, oh my god, this is a this is a chilling mofo right here, man. <laughs> right. He just does that, and every time he would like square off, you know, in the, like a, a face off or something, and he's just it, it can't be described. It was so unflinching. It wasn't even stoic. It was so unflinching that it was almost like 
he didn't see a man in front of him, you know? And I talk about yeah. him in the past tense. Obviously, he's still fighting, but he's just on another level of unnerving. And what he was able to accomplish in the UFC um, and the way he did it, altering those guys like you mentioned, Sean, I, I'd have a hard time not making him my uh, my guy. Like, I think he wins this bracket. Chuck Liddell was awesome, man. I think that in terms of uh, showing that side of a fighter, like showing like sure intimidation and things like that, he was right up there. But nobody's going to outdo Robbie Lawler in that compartment. So I've got him winning this thing too. Oh, that's that's funny. We didn't even talk about this before. No, we we ended up with the same result. Yeah. I, I'm gonna one quick story about Robbie Lawler. He is the only time. I've been doing this a decade now, and he is the only time that I've ever interviewed a fighter and actually felt like a chill kind of like run up my <laughs> yeah, spine during yeah. the interview. It was it was recent, too. It was, I think, the Ben Askren fight. I was doing some interview with him, and I asked him, uh, in retrospect, a very poorly worded question about something like, you know, have you started, you've been doing this a long time, have you started thinking about after? Have you started thinking about the end? And he did not like that question, and he just kind of stared at me. It, until that point, he had been like jovial enough during the interview, jovial by Robbie Lawler standards. But he just like stared at me and gave me that whatever that you just said that not seeing a person in front of him yeah. just type of thing. And the demeanor, whole demeanor changed. And I, I can't remember exactly what he said back to me because I was somewhat terrified. But it was just like, do you think about the end? That oh type gosh. of thing. <laughs> I was just, I had more questions and I don't even think, I, I think I was just like, nope, uh, sorry, stupid question. Thank you for the time. It's the end of the interview. You're like, <laughs> I'm thinking the- about the end right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh my God. Genuinely the only time I've actually gotten like nervous interviewing awesome. a fighter just for like, he, he didn't even do anything. He wouldn't even threaten me or like move. It was just the look, man. I uh, <laughs> love it, man. That, that's so well. It's kind of crazy that all three of us actually have something like that have happened yeah. directly with Robbie Lawler when we... There's no other human being on earth that would probably be able to do that to us. That's true. Um, so anyway. <laughs> they were my, an actual killer or something like that. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so my final, which definitely easily could have had Robbie Lawler uh, going to the final and winning this thing for sure. My final is Chuck Liddell and Anderson Silva, kind of my personal, uh, you know, original heroes in the sport. The guys that really made me start watching the sport and keep watching the sport and fall in love with it. Um, I'm going to make the eventual winner of my tournament. Anderson Silva, I think he, oh. I think he'd be able to outstrike Chuck. Chuck's a little wild with his hands. Uh, he definitely <laughs> could catch Anderson, a la uh, Chris Weidman. But I think uh, vintage Anderson would be um, a little sneaky and be able to yeah. to to land the shots that he needed to land to put Chuck down. Uh, but man, that would have been an incredible fight that actually probably could have happened. Um, and I'm giving Anderson Silva the uh, the tournament win on my end. All right. See, Silva deserves that, right? So I think it's good that you represent Silva because people forget just how amazing that guy has been, man. Oh, I mean, the the fight against Vitor when that was the fight going into that everybody was like, well, this is the end of Anderson. I mean, Vitor is going to win this fight. Yeah, and then he he front kicks him in the face. I mean, just (laughs) unbelievable. (laughs) Something you'd never see coming, and Vitor definitely didn't. And, you know, it's just unbelievable. I agree. I'm glad you you threw him in there because I think it's – Telling that neither Chuck nor I did, right? Like, if this would have if this would have been done like five years ago, I, Anderson's yeah. one of my first ballots in there. Right. I think the the way that like the last I don't know quarter of his career has gone has really like it's really soured a lot of people and kind of like made a lot of people forget how ridiculous yeah. this guy was if for I a had, long you know, time. 
and if I had been thinking of it more like Chris was, you know, where you're basically thinking in cage, like, you know, more so on that than the general persona outside of it, too, I think I would have definitely had Silva in there. I mean, it's just too hard not to, man. Yeah. That run that you mentioned, it's just, it's too crazy. Also, right. he's got the, the shorts, right? He's got the yellow shorts, the DMX yeah. walkout. Like, he had, he had aura. Yeah. Did, oh, man. yeah. It was an event. It felt like an event. Those were the first ones where I just would not miss those pay-per-views. I'd get my friends together. We'd go out and watch them. It was an event when Anderson would fight. And, yeah. you know, I'll always remember that. I think because he's still going, we just can't think of him yet in that way. Like, once he, I, I, 10 years down the line, I think we're going to think of Anderson a lot better than we do in 2019. Yeah. If that makes sure. any sense. Yeah. I'll tell you one that I had a hard time. It was like my fifth. It was like the as a guy that I wanted to see because obviously I was doing a little bit different kind of a of a list. But Michael Bisping, man. The only oh, problem, I almost wow. threw him in Bisping's there, man. Great. I That's almost great. threw him in there. He was he's. I mean, when you think about that guy's career from start to finish and everything that's kind of happened to him through his life and everything, I'm like. He fits the bill of what we're talking, regardless of which context. If you're talking about just in the cage, or if you're talking about his general persona, like he he kind of fits the bill on all of it. He's one. He's definitely like one of those guys, like you mentioned, Sean. Maybe just too recent out of the game for it to fully sit in that way. But I feel like his legacy will only, you know, grow in terms of its uh, its its kind of mystique, you know, as oh time goes God. on and people see him that way. But I, I almost snuck him through. He he was my number five too, and it was so hard for me to not cut it or to not put him in there 2016 michael bisbing doing what he did with one eye like i know the one especially eye thing. that the one eye that. thing it's crazy that that's it that's the killer for me and frankly i should have put him in there it's ridiculous that he didn't. yeah uh, let's do this bit again oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man well that was a ton of fun thank you guys so much for participating in that and indulging us with that I love anytime we can get. I like getting Chris, Chris involved. We're gonna to have to figure out ways to get Chris involved every every show here, man. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, I enjoyed it. That was great. Absolutely, and we are running late. We this has been a long show. We're gonna yeah. go ahead and start wrapping up. Uh, it's Wednesday. You know what time it is? It is interim title time. Uh, Chuck, would you would you like the floor? Uh, I could go first if you want, man. Let's hand out these interim titles. You know what I'm gonna choose? We talked a lot about. Gregor Gillespie after his knockout loss it was just such a uh, devastating kind of spectacle for a guy I think was being groomed for some some big things in the UFC and we wondered in what form do, as of Monday as of Monday show in what form he would you know how he would handle this as a as a burning kind of smoldering competitor that he is well you want to know how he handled it Sean he got how out he there and he it, went Sean? fishing man that's what this guy does he went out there and he, he went fishing and uh, I know MMA Fighting had talked to him, uh, and it sounds like he's in really good spirits. He said, I, and I quote, unquote, you know my ego was hurt a little bit, obviously. Someone who never loses and then they lose, and you are you got to imagine that there's going to be some emotions about that, which there were, but my spirit is intact. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my interim title to a guy who seems as resilient as he is, kind of quirky in this fight game, and still has a ton of potential. Gregor Gillespie, he is going to get my interim title this week. Love it. Love it. Yeah, that was a great article. I believe that was by our good friend Alexander K. Lee. Yes, uh, it was. If I'm yep, not wrong. Your boy. Great get by Alexander. That was really good stuff. I agree with you 100%. Uh, it's good to see Gregor's already out there on the uh, on the lakes, fishing it up, just like <laughs> old his, times. That's his, uh, that's his spiritual home on the water. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So for my interim title this week, I'm going to award it to a man who I actually just write a wrote a, a like a 3000 word feature about today that that's up on the athletic now team alpha male fighter UFC featherweight maybe a guy you haven't heard about but somebody you should definitely 
look into his story. And if you can, read that story on The Athletic. Vince Murdoch. Uh, if you guys haven't heard about Vince Murdoch's story, just very quickly, I'm going to summarize it. He is a UFC featherweight who has not actually fought for the UFC yet. He was supposed to make his short notice debut, filling in on like one or two weeks notice at UFC Minneapolis. And so basically this guy, he's someone who, Team Alpha Male for, I don't even know, seven, eight years at this point. He's a real OG there, veteran over there. Takes basically a whole decade to get into the UFC. He started in 2011. He never stops working. He's 28 years old. He finally, finally, finally gets in this summer. Short notice. Goes through the fight week stuff. He's fighting on a car with Francis Ngannou. He's excited. He's signing the posters, everything. He ends up getting pulled from the fight two days before the fight. No one really kind of understands why. It's kept a secret for a bit. He ends up getting pulled from the fight because during the course of doing the pre-fight medicals, he finds out that something's tremendously wrong with his brain. Like horrifically wrong, wrong with his brain. He ends up doing test after test for the next couple of months. And just within the past like month, this is all super recent, he comes to find out that he has a, a disease, a brain disease called Moya Moya, which oh. is insanely rare. Like it's, he said something like seven people get it a year in the entire world, something like that. I don't I, my My research found that it was more of like one in every hundred thousand, but that's still, that's such a, that's such a small number. So now he's in this situation where he has this brain disease, and basically what it is, I, I'm not a doctor, so I don't want to try to describe it, but it, it, the way he described it is effectively the left side of his brain is getting no blood. And so the left side, the whole entire half of his brain is just functioning off of these, what doctors call reserves, just the blood that's kind of trickling over from the right side of his brain, but it's a super small amount, and it's very finite. It's not, it's not, there's not infinite amount of it, and it could run out at any moment. So basically, Vince Murdoch right now at 28 years old is in serious jeopardy at any moment in time of just kind of dropping from a, a stroke. The moment his body decides that it can't, it doesn't have the blood that it needs. That is terrifying. That is absolutely terrifying. He needs surgery. He needs a special special kind of surgery that is a very unique kind of surgery that not a lot of people do. He's found one doctor that's the best in the world at it at Stanford, luckily, which is next to Sacramento, next to Team Alpha Male. But it's not. It's it's. I mean, it's it's expensive, yeah. man. It's not. That's it's heroin. not cheap. It's it's costs to about two two hundred grand to get this surgery. The surgery needs to be done this month. Like right now, there is a level of urgency around this guy that like they can't wait any longer. They they like I said, this is all relatively recent that they figured everything out. He's gonna get that surgery either next Wednesday or the following Wednesday. So either thirteenth or the twentieth. But he needs to figure out how to pay for it beforehand. Like he he needs to get this money by either the Wednesday or the following Wednesday. Uh, so he right now he's doing all sorts of things to try to figure out ways to pay for it. He he told me actually. Um, I think on Friday, I'm not sure it's, it, it was Friday or next Monday. I think it's next Monday. He, he ha- he's going to have to be a lab rat, basically like a medical Guinea pig where they're going to do like an experiment on him where they, they put whatever this, that means, but, uh, whatever this means, but a year's worth of radiation, they inject a year's worth of radiation into some water and he has to drink some water just cause then they'll kind of comp this $15,000 brain scan that he needs to get to see wh- where they need to operate. Like, it's just a crazy, awful, awful situation, man. And right now, just one more quick background piece about Vince Murdoch for people who haven't heard of him. At Team Alpha Male, they have something called the Mush Award, where it's it's named after him, basically, because he's a mushy guy, is the way he explained it. They always talk about how he has one of the biggest hearts on the team. He's always just, all his teammates described him as someone who's always trying to help people, 
who's always just trying to be positive. Like example of that, he just got married on Saturday. Like he he surprised his wife with like a big surprise wedding ceremony, and it seemed like it was an incredible thing. Um, he didn't want to do any of this fundraising. He was actually really really embarrassed to even ask for money, but Uriah Faber just forced it upon him. Uh, but they're incredibly far away from their target goal. Last time I checked, it was like 20,000 and they need to get to 200,000. So please, anybody out there listening, donate in any way you can, help in any way you can, spread the message, whatever it takes. Uh, but my interim title of this week goes to Vince Murdoch and I wish you the best of luck, man, next week, whether it's next week or the week after in the surgery. Uh, he doesn't know whether he's even going to get to fight again, but right now that seems like such a small detail in all yeah. of this. So... Vince Murdoch, you're my interim title of the week, man. Uh, winner. Congratulations to you and good luck this month, yeah. man. I hope it's it all goes one, well man. for you. Also, check out that piece on The Athletic. Uh, you get a chance. It's in the meantime, it's a great thank piece. You, I read it. Thank you, Chuck. Uh, tough situation, but it's always good that the MMA community rallies in situations like these. We've seen it time and time again, and hopefully they can do it again. Uh, meantime, man, this has been a fun episode. A little bit of a downer way to end it, but this has been a fun episode, man. I had a lot of fun doing this. Got to do it again sometime, man. Maybe not <laughs> we'll maybe not the exact same thing, but something like it. Well, we'll be back on Monday, as always. Uh, <laughs> also, you rolling. guys, it, the train never stops. Uh, also, if you guys out there want to sign up for The Athletic and read that Vince Murdoch piece or any of Chuck's pieces, Chuck just had a great piece on Welly Zhang today. I know you got something else coming later this week on Israel Adesanya. Uh, sign up on The Athletic at theathletic.com slash M-A-T-M. You get 40% off. That's our own little special code for the man in the myth. Also, rate, subscribe, review for us on uh, Apple Podcasts. We appreciate it so much. In the meantime, my name is Sean Shoddy. That man is Chuck Mendenhall. We are going to be back on Monday. Hope you guys enjoy your week, enjoy your weekend, enjoy the fights. We will see you on Monday. Peace. Peace.